Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto, performed by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. How you doing, junkie? Well, if you haven't heard, my Detroit Lions Cinderella season came to an end. They dominated the first half against the San Francisco 49ers and then completely collapsed in the second half. The Lions went into the locker room up 24-7 at halftime, a 17-point lead in the NFC Championship game. In the second half, the Niners scored 27 points while the Lions managed only a last-minute touchdown. Final score, 34-31 San Francisco. So the Niners are off to the Super Bowl and the Lions season is done. That's right. The Lions missed the Super Bowl by three points. The Super Bowl by three points. The Detroit Lions missed the Super Bowl by three points. <sighs> so the season is done. And there's one good thing about that. I am going to get so much more writing done. No NFL on Thursday on Saturday, on Sunday, and on Monday. No fantasy football, no looking up stats online. None of that stuff. I get all that time back to work on the Crypt Book 2, Slay Season 2, to finish off Warpath when that comes back from the editor, and to finish GFL Book 7 after Crypt Book 2 gets sent off to the editor. I believe, I believe that I will have all of that done before the NFL season starts up again in August. We will find out if I am right or if I am full of the poo-poo. Let me get you caught up on Slay's story so far, and then we're all going to go flick that bick. Hello and welcome to Slay episode 45 titled Flick That Bick. Let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then we're all going to go hunt down Teddy Two Fingers. Previously on Slay, Lincoln found Thoko Chikandi, a thief who sold a stolen magic carpet to Teddy Two Fingers, the man who kidnapped Lincoln's son Sam and sent him to the purgatory known as The Shelf. Lincoln had a little chat with Thoko and learned that Thoko had placed a meshwork tracker on the carpet in hopes of stealing it a second time. Meanwhile, Ariella asked Kellyus Droman, a powerful, dangerous, and extremely rich mage, to train Billy how to use his innate magical power in exchange for Lincoln guarding Kellyus' teenage daughter, Delilah. Kellyus turned down the offer, leaving Billy's training duties to Magda and Ariella. That training begins now on Slay, episode 45. Don't kill him right away. Don't kill him right away. You better find it, Lincoln said. Thoko was on one knee, feeling under the ratty couch in his flophouse apartment, searching for the tracker. Down there on the floor, the lowlife looked like the cockroach that he was. And he looked scared. I'm trying, he said. It's here. I just hit it real good. Terror in his voice. That was to be expected. Lincoln now wore his full armor and cloak, the curling, roiling haze of Ceramel hiding his eyes. If I'd have known who you were, I would have talked to you right off, Thoko said. 
his cheek pressed against the couch. Honest. Lincoln slowly ran an armored thumb along Bastard Maker's blade. The soft, metal-on-metal -metal scrape rang out like the distant call of a hungry bird. I didn't have nothing to do with Teddy nabbing your son, Thoko said. I, I didn't even know Teddy back then. Lincoln smelled no lies. He wanted to, but he couldn't. Thoko Chikandi was telling the truth. Maybe he hadn't been involved in Sam's abduction, but he did business with Teddy Two Fingers, and Lincoln had killed far better men for far less than that. Thoko's face brightened. I found it! He stood, a red Bic lighter in his hand, his eyes fixed on Bastard Maker. He offered the lighter to Lincoln. His basic mesh, when it's pointed in the right direction, it vibrates. You better hope it works. Lincoln flipped his cloak aside, slid his hatchet into one of the endless folds. He took the lighter. Because you're coming with me. Thoko sagged. Had he really thought Lincoln would just take the tracker and go? Move your ass, Jakandi, Lincoln said. Lead me to Teddy Two Fingers. Billy twirled the bow staff. It felt odd at first, but he was surprised at how quickly he adapted to the weight and the balance. Magda was going to train him how to use it. There's some Darth Maul shit right here, he said. I wonder if someday I can make flames shoot out the ends. That would be badass. Magda rolled a battered 55-gallon oil drum out of the shooting range. I admit, this basement workshop and training area is dope, she said. But we still need more space. Maybe Ariella can get contractors to expand the basement a bit. And put us even further in debt? Magda tilted the drum up, set it at the edge of the training mat. Link will get us out of the hole, she said. Sure he will. After he chased down anyone tangentially associated with his son being turned into an elf on a shelf. Magda held up a warning finger. Don't make light of Sam getting kidnapped, Billy. Not ever again. Through her subdued anger, Billy heard his own words in his head. Sorry, he said. My bad. She nodded once, perhaps her way of letting something go. She put her hand on the upright drum, which Billy saw was full of dried concrete, save for a deep hole in the middle. This is one of my crucibles, she said. One of your crucibles? The medium one. Small one is on a tool bench in the corner. Big one is stashed in the bell tower base with a bunch of other junk. Haven't had much use for it. That's where Dragon was now, up high where the bell still hung, sleeping the night away. The tower stairs had rotted and collapsed long ago. Billy had once wondered how the little dachshund could get up there, but that was before he'd seen her true 15-foot-long form. Magda grabbed a bow staff from the weapons rack, slid it into the hole. It stuck up like a mop handle from a bucket. Your innate power, so far, seems to be heat-based, she said. Heat-based. That sounded so awesome. And a little bit frightening. Could Billy set himself on fire? So I'm like the human torch from Fantastic Four? It ain't like that, Magda said. Heat is one of the possible manifestations of particular emotions, like anger, 
jealousy, or frustration. You ever feel frustration, B? When didn't he feel frustrated? Being poor in a rich man's world, being small, being weak, getting bullied. That had been his life. Then, the only steady thing he'd ever known, his grandma, lying to him about his real body, hiding from him this amazing potential. Every now and then, Billy said. So in a world of filaments and shit, frustration equals fire? Magda shrugged. Sometimes, as for your emotions specifically, we won't know for a while. Maybe never. The blaze you kicked out when your grandma was here could be one possible manifestation that we'll never see again, or it could be the only thing you can do. Till we know more, we need to teach you to control it. She nodded toward the staff sticking up from the oil drum. So when you get frustrated, you focus your emotions on that hunk of wood. Got it? I guess, Billy said. You want me to think about grandma or something? See if I can get all worked up? Magda stepped to the weapons rack again, pulled out another staff. We don't need grandma for this. She widened her feet and bent her knees. We'll start full contact weapons training right now. Billy remembered her using a staff like the one she held against Money Monday and Velake. She had put them both down easily. It had looked quite painful. But, but Mags, full contact? Like, you're going to hit me? I don't know how to fight with a staff. You'll learn, she said. Now get in a stance like mine. Thoko held the Verge TS's handlebars, but Lincoln's meshwork did the driving. He sat behind Thoko, his Keltec PMR-30 pressed into the small of Thoko's back. People might not make action movies where badass heroes used 22 caliber pistols to lay waste to armies of goons, but Lincoln had explained what a round would do to Thoko's kidney, liver, spine, and spleen. In that subject, at least, Thoko proved to be a highly attentive student. The electric motorcycle shot through Lumencia's nighttime streets, all but silent when there was no traffic, completely so when cars or nightlife were nearby. Lincoln had put the Bic lighter slash rug tracker in the small storage compartment under the bike seat and fiber connected it to the self-driving mesh. The Verge automatically followed the tracker signals toward the rug. Lincoln monitored the path mentally, telling the bike when to follow the rules of the road and when to break them. The Verge turned right, headed north through the theater district, wove through moderate late-night traffic. Since leaving Thoko's place, the tracker's path had led them through increasingly valuable real estate. The bike was so quiet that even at residential speeds, Thoko didn't have to yell to be heard. Hey man, he said. After this, you gonna, you gonna let me go? Or are you gonna kill me anyway? Lincoln had been asking himself that same question. If Thoko was telling the truth, he was guilty of stealing the wrong thing and selling it to the wrong person. Not of kidnapping children. Sure, Thoko had done plenty of bad shit and needed to be punished, but killed? Frankly, it was a gray area. Tell me about the rug you stole. Lincoln said in lieu of an answer. The binder said you were a clandestine carpet thief. 
You so sneaky a burglar, you get called that? What does this carpet do? I'm just a regular second story man. It's the carpet itself that's clandestine. If used right, it and its riders can pass through most meshwork security, and it's invisible to any purblind electronics. Ah, Lincoln had read the binder wrong. No wonder Teddy Two Fingers had bought it. A clandestine carpet was a hell of an asset for someone who abducted children from enlightened families. The Verge carried them into Riverside East and onto the Cranwedge Causeway, the raised highway that ran parallel to the Lumencia River. The wedge wove through the high-rise of Riverside West. Rich people lived in these parts. Not much traffic on the six-lane road, not at this time of night. Through the tall residential buildings, he saw the lights of the city playing off the water. So, you, you gonna kill me? Shut up, Lincoln said. I haven't decided yet, but every time you ask, it becomes more and more likely. The bike slid onto an off-ramp, and Lincoln found himself in Barren Ridge, home of Lumencia's richest people, both old money and new. The bike slowed, came to a stop across the street from a lavish, three-story Victorian mansion surrounded by a ten-foot white concrete wall topped by another ten feet of black wrought-iron fence. Through that fence, Lincoln saw tall arborvitae, tastefully placed ground lights illuminating their greenery. The mansion looked like it was from the late 1800s. Not just old money. Old, old money. Lincoln could smell the meshwork of the place. He could even see it. A dull green shimmer about the building, clearly meant as a warning to all enlightened. Don't even try coming here, you silly bitches. The bike had stopped because the Bic lighter in the storage compartment was buzzing violently. Teddy Two Fingers and his ill-gotten clandestine carpet were close. Lincoln looked up, looked this way and that, scanning overhead for the flying carpet. Oh, man. Thoko hit his face in his hands, shook his head. I am so screwed. I didn't know. How could I have known? Even when Lincoln had held a gun to the man's nuts, Thoko hadn't seemed as scared as he did now. Known what? Lincoln said. Who lives here? Thoko looked up, eyes wide. What do you mean, who lives here? Are you serious? I don't spend much time hobnobbing with some of the richest people in the world, Lincoln said. Now answer me. Who lives here? Thoko looked at the old mansion. Kellyus Droman, he said. Kellyus Droman lives here. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. The bow staff cracked against Billy's jaw dropping him to the mat. The pain made his head swim. Get up, Magda said. Pick up your weapon and get on your feet. Billy grabbed his jaw, moved it a little left, a little right. Damn, did it hurt. Give me a second, he mumbled. That really, her bow staff slapped against his thigh like a fastball hitting a catcher's mitt. Billy cried out, fell to his side, both hands moving to his screaming thigh. Damn it, Mags! Get up, she said. Pick up your weapon and get on your feet. Billy started to ask, to shout, why she was being such a bitch. Then he realized she'd said the same words before tuning up his thigh. He grabbed fast for his bow staff, somehow scrambled to his feet. His thigh, his jaw, along with his ribs, his shoulder, his shin. The fuck out of me. I told you I don't know how to fight with these things. I showed you how to block, she said. So, block. He was a foot taller than her, had 50 pounds on her, even though she was overweight, probably from all the pizza and the nonstop boozing. Billy threw his staff down onto the mat. I quit. I don't want to spar no more. If you don't pick up that weapon, she said, then you have no chance to block. She twirled her staff once, stepped toward him. Billy backed up. He had a body like he was a defensive back reporting for training camp with the Lumencia Leopards, while she looked like the before picture of an ad for a midlife crisis weight loss program, yet she was kicking his ass. What good was his new body 
if someone who looked like Mags could shred him so easily. He didn't know how to fight like this. She stepped forward. He backed up. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Billy felt heat flare up in his stomach. The crucible, Mag said. Focus your energy there. Billy looked to the bow staff sticking up out of the barrel. Heat in his chest now. He didn't know what to do. Heat in his face. The bow staff burst into flames. Heat in his brain. Bring it down a nice little bee, Magda said. Concentrate. Control it. But Billy couldn't control it. The flames grew higher. The barrel's metal began to glow red. Even with the haze of Cimarron's meshwork vision, Lincoln couldn't see Jack's shit. No real surprise there. It was a clandestine carpet, after all. He mentally signaled to Shitbird, told the crow to circle fast around the mansion. Shitbird could see the underskin better than Lincoln, but that was no guarantee. Lincoln had no idea what the carpet could do. Let me go, Thoko said. I gotta get out of Lamencia fast. Teddy's going after Droman's daughter, and Droman, he don't forgive anyone. Droman. He needed to be warned. Lincoln had the sphere Ariella used to communicate with him. Maybe he could. The Bic lighter started buzzing so violently it rattled against the inside of the storage compartment. Lincoln felt the motorcycle's meshwork enhancements surge with energy. If the bike had been a pit bull, it would have been straining at the leash. An image flashed in Lincoln's mind. Shitbird saw the carpet in the night sky. Only a ghost of an image, barely visible, but he saw it. The flying carpet, with four men riding atop, streaked almost directly over Lincoln's head and coursed over the wrought iron fence. Teddy fucking two fingers. Get lost, Lincoln said. Thoko got off the bike so fast he caught his foot, fell to the sidewalk. Lincoln slid forward in the seat. He reached into his cloak, drew his crossbow. He cocked the string, removed a bolt from the side quiver, and knocked it. Ignis, Lincoln said, then pulled the trigger. The bolt hit the wall erupted in an explosion of green flame that blew a partial hole in the white concrete, bent wrought iron posts in backward curls. Lincoln loaded another and let it fly. A second green hellfire explosion, the now larger hole in the wall was just big enough. Lincoln slid his crossbow back into his cloak, gripped the bike's handlebars, and let go the leash. With barely a hum, the electric motorcycle shot forward like the crossbow bolts that had preceded it. In a second and a half of acceleration, the bike hit 40 miles per hour before it raced through the hole in the wall. Magda ran to the workbench and grabbed a fire extinguisher off the wall. Flames shot up from the crucible, sprayed across the wooden ceiling. Billy lie in a fetal position on the training mat, the air around him shimmering with heat. Magda, help me. Billy sounded weak, barely audible over the harsh roar of the growing flames. Magda aimed the nozzle at the crucible and squeezed the lever. 
CO2 mist whooshed out, obscuring the crucible. She hosed it down, but the flames did not die. Fuck a duck. She switched her aim to the ceiling, now roiling with crawling fire. The training mat burst into flames around Billy. Magda shot mist that way, engulfing the mat and Billy alike. That fire didn't want to go out either. Billy reached up a hand through the shooting white mist. Help me! A new noise. Above the roar of hissing, crackling flames, Magda heard the pounding of heavy, clawed feet hammering down the basement stairs, heard the thunderous, bowel-rattling bellow of a very protective, very pissed-off, mystical reptile. Her heart sank. Fuck. Two ducks. Dragon thought she was attacking Billy. The workshop door blew apart in a shower of spinning wooden splinters, and a jet-black, 15-foot-long Chinese dragon rushed in on wide paws, onyx-colored claws digging into the concrete floor, spiked eyebrows vibrating above hateful eyes, lips curled back to reveal teeth made for a massacre. You have been listening to Slay, created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2024, Empty Set Entertainment. For more info on Scott Sigler, his novels, short stories, and podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.